that God would deliver them too from the oppression of and occupation of the Roman Empire. So when they're out praying on Passover night, which is a normal thing, you, not just Jesus, any Jew would have been out praying the, 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 the Passover vigil. So you have the meal and then you go and you watch and you wait for the hand of God to bring deliverance. That's what their expectations are when they go out with Jesus to the Mount of Olives, that God's hand of deliverance is finally going to come, finally going to set us free. And if you recall, just a few weeks ago, Jesus is on the road with his disciples coming from Jericho, going up to Jerusalem, and people come out on the street, and they start shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and they welcome Jesus like a king. This is just days ago for them. And so now, just days ago, that's happened. And here we are on Passover night at the Mount of Olives. Oh, yeah, baby. Tonight's the night. Jesus is going to reclaim his throne as king of kings and Lord of lords. The disciples' expectations about this is so high, and we know this because at least some of them came strapped with their swords, ready for battle. Suit up, baby. It's time. They are so ready for this. In fact, just as they get to the Mount of Olives, just before the story that we're about to step into, their expectations, again, they are so high. They have their swords, and they pledge their allegiance to Jesus. Even Jesus says, you're all going to abandon me tonight. And, Jesus, and they say to him, absolutely not. It sounds like a coach giving a speech. Oh, you guys can't do this. Oh, yes, we can. Right? That's the kind of flavor it seems to have. They jump up. Uh, Peter, of course, always first one. He jumps up, and he says, even if I have to die, I will never leave you. And all the rest of them are like, yeah, let's go. Their expectations are high. And then something very unexpected happens. Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 32. They went to the place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here with me. Keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it is possible the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup. Yet not what I want, but what you want. And then he returned and found his disciples sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch for one hour? Watch. Pray that you don't fall into temptation. The spirit's willing. It's the flesh that's weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back again, he found them sleeping. Their eyes were heavy. He, they didn't know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour's come. Look, 
The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him, a crowd armed with clubs and swords sent from the chief priests, the scribes, and the teachers of the law and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. So going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi! And kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one who was standing near drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with clubs and swords to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts. You did not arrest me. But the scripture must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. The word of our Lord. What the heck is this? How do you go from pledging your allegiance to Jesus at Passover, ready for the battle, sword for the fight, to running away butt naked and afraid just a few hours later? What happened? Ah, one thing we can say for sure about this. Jesus did not meet their expectations. And so one of the things I think we can explore together tonight is what does it look like to follow Jesus when he does not meet our expectations? I think this story can help us with this. There are clues that Mark gives us um, that I think help us get to the bottom of this very disorienting series of events. One of the clues is the location. As we've uh, mentioned before at different times, when Mark tells us the name of a place or a person, and he, ju- he doesn't have to, he could just leave that open. If he does that, it's almost always because that name carries meaning or significance. And this is a great example of this. Mark tells us that they went to the place called Gethsemane. At the foot of the Mount of Olives, there's a place called God Shanim, which literally means oil press the place where the olives get crushed and the oil gets squeezed out. Olive oil is a pretty big deal in ancient Israel. They used it for just about everything that you can imagine. They used it for worship in the temple. They used it for skin care and hair care and medicine and cooking. They used it for cleaning and lighting lamps. I mean, they... No, I'm not going to say it. They use... Uh, stuff, olive oil for just about everything that you could imagine and maybe things that you couldn't. But it's not easy to get olive oil. It's a pretty intense process. First, you have to take olives, which incidentally, they're not like the ones you get out of the can, right? They're like rubber balls. They're not soft. They're not uh, very helpful initially plucking off the tree. And you throw it on this, on this and grind it with this giant stone, usually pulled around by a donkey. You throw it all in there, pit, olive, everything, and you grind it and grind it and grind it down into this muddy, oily paste. And then you take that paste, 
you fill it with baskets and you put it on the press. Probably, it did not look like this. This is slightly more modern, a different design, but you get the picture. You put it on the press and you press it. And you press it. And you press it until the oil separates from the muddy, pasty, crushed olives. Mark tells us that on this night of deliverance, Jesus took his disciples out to the oil press, the place where the olives get crushed and the oil gets squeezed out. When they arrive, he tells some to stand watch and pray while he goes to pray. But he takes Peter, James, and John with him into the oil press. Now, you may recall that Peter, James, and John have bring, uh, brought these men on special assignment before. In Mark chapter 9, he brings them up on a high mountain where he is transfigured before their face. Literally, his glory is revealed to them, and they see him for who he truly is as his glory is revealed. Now, if you're Peter, James, and John, and the last time Jesus pulled you out, that was the experience? Would you say on Passover night when Jesus had just a few days ago been led into the city to shouts of acclamation, blessed is the kingdom of our father David, and it's Passover night, and you're thinking, is tonight the night? And then he, Jesus pulls you aside, and he's going to take you into the oil press, take you with him? Are your expectations rising? Oh, baby, we were right. Good thing we brought our swords. It's time. Except the face that turns to them is not the face of the glorious face of the Son of God that they had seen just days before. It's the face of a suffering servant. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death, Jesus tells them. On this night of deliverance, when everyone around him is hyped up, ready for battle, Jesus, the Son of God, is distressed and troubled. What a contrast. Disciples who enter the oil press ready for war, and Jesus enters the oil press ready to cry. Does that surprise you? I didn't grow up in church. Um, I didn't grow up in Christianity at all. I didn't have any real relationship to it. But as in God's gracious working in my life, as I've come to know Christ and to love Christ and love his church, I have uh, observed that many, many Christians don't know what to do with this Jesus. He does not meet their expectations. Like the disciples, it seems that many of us get really disoriented when we see Jesus distressed and troubled this way as his soul is being crushed with grief. And we don't want to touch it. But friends, I want to say to you that it is an absolute gift of God that Jesus does not meet our expectations here and doesn't meet theirs either. 
It's a gift that we get to see Jesus distressed and troubled, knowing the suffering that lies ahead of him. Because it shows us that Jesus gets what it means to be us. It shows us that Jesus knows what it's like when grief is squeezing the life out of you. When trouble and distress are pressing down on you. It's not an exercise in a theory for him. He knows it really well. He is, in fact, what the writer of Hebrews will later say, our high priest who is able to empathize with our weaknesses, who's been tested in every way just as we are. Because Jesus has walked this road ahead of us, we can bring our grief into the presence of God. We don't have to hide our grief from God or from each other. We can bring our distress and our trouble right into the presence of God, falling on our knees when the suffering and grief are crushing us in the oil press. And doing that is an act of worship. That's exactly what we see in this story. What Jesus does here as he enters into the oil press is fall down on his face in prayer. The weight of the entire human race quite literally crushing him and grinding him down. And under that press, he cries out, Abba, Father, everything's possible for you. Take this cup. This is the part that we wanted to look really closely at tonight. There's so much in this story. We could go on for a long time, but we just want to look closely at the prayer that Jesus prays in the oil press, because when our expectations get crushed, uh, excuse me, crushed in the oil press of suffering and grief, how do we follow Jesus in worship and in prayer when we're distressed and troubled, right? That's what, that's what we can receive, right? That's the oil that comes to us from the press of Jesus' prayer here in Gethsemane. So that's what we're going to focus in on tonight. The first thing we see Jesus do is he actually brings his closest friends into the oil press with him. He doesn't try to keep it to himself. He doesn't try to tough it out. He doesn't try to go it alone. He tells them, stay here, keep watch. And that, that word, keep watch, is keep vigil with me. It's like, it's not watch for something coming, but watch for the hand of God to move the way we watched for the hand of God to move and delivered us from Egypt. Same word gets used there. Keep watch with me. Because how many of you guys know that when the press is on you and you are distressed and troubled and grief is crushing you, it is really, really hard to see God's hand. And it is really, really hard to hear God's voice when the distress and trouble are crushing down on you. So what does he do? He calls his closest friends to be with him in the oil press. Stay with me. Keep watch. Jesus doesn't go it alone in this. And there's probably an important word there for all of us that might be more inclined to pull away from others. To isolate ourselves when... We feel the press and the distress coming on us. Jesus, the Son of God, says, come with me. Stay with me. Watch with me. Pray with me. 
And then he goes into prayer. There's a movement that happens in Jesus' prayer in the oil press that is so helpful for us because some of us right now, I have no doubt, are distressed and troubled and grief is pressing the life out of us. Some of us have been there before. All of us are going to end up there at some point. Here's the pattern that, we, that Jesus follows in the press. It goes like this. I need you. I know you. I want this from you. And I trust you. So we look at this prayer together. It begins by Jesus falling on his face in worship and prayer, right? Like olives being crushed to the ground. The reality of his suffering and what's ahead of him is crushing Jesus. And his response is to fall on his knees in prayer. That's the I need you moment. He comes to his father face down on his knees knowing he does not. Hear me now. The son of God saying and falling on his knees in prayer, he does not have what it takes to accomplish the thing that is set before him. Here's the thing. Contrast that with the disciples who were just an hour ago spouting off about their own bravery and their own allegiance, but are caught napping when Jesus calls them to watch and be with him. You see, when you're confident of the strength that's in your own hand, and when you're confident of what you can do and what you can achieve, you know what happens then? You don't need to pray. Why do you need to pray? You know what you're supposed to do. You know what you're, you're capable of. You don't need to pray. Maybe because it's the right thing, but you don't need it. But Jesus... The Son of God, troubled and in grief, comes on his face before his Father and says, I need you. If that's true for Jesus, man, how much more for me? The next movement we see in this prayer reveals why Jesus is so willing to be this vulnerable and open with God and with his disciples, and that is the I know you part of the prayer. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Jesus can be this vulnerable in his prayer because he knows his Father loves him and that his Father is able to deliver him. There's no question about that for him. I, I would dare say many of our prayers are impotent because we don't know and we or we don't believe that our Father loves us or that he's able to do something about this. Especially when our expectations are crushed. Because that's disorienting. Right? Especially when our expectations are crushed and we forget that we are loved and we forget that in God all things are possible and we start to believe lies that aren't true, that maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe somehow I'm the exception to the rule or what I've done is too bad. It's not a, I am not good enough to be loved by God, at least not the way it says in Scripture. That's a lie. Or maybe... God really can't do this kind of thing. Maybe this isn't the kind of thing that God, even if he cared enough, he can't really do this thing. Mm -mm. 
No, when we are distressed and troubled like Jesus, friends, we can come to our Father in prayer, just like children who know that we're loved and who know that our Father is able. Like Jesus comes to the Father knowing those things, confident of those things. That is not in doubt in his prayer. It's in the context of saying, Father, I need you, and Father, I know you, that he finally moves to this third piece that we see in the prayer, which is saying exactly what he wants. Take this cup from me. Jesus does not want to go to the cross in this moment. He does not want this suffering. He is troubled and distressed because he knows what's coming, and he prays very clearly, very directly, take this cup away. And I wonder, have you ever prayed that way? With that kind of clarity? With that kind of specificity? So often it seems like I I hear myself doing it and I hear others doing it all the time, praying that things might go smoothly or praying that things might go okay. Really generic, unintentional almost. Like we don't really want God to disappoint us. We're just going to give him a lob, put it on the tee. Can you hit this one, God, maybe? Is there any way for crucifixion to go smoothly if you're the one on the cross? Any way for false accusations to go smoothly if you're the one being accused? No, Jesus, in the context of his need, in coming to God in worship with his need, in the context of knowing his relationship with his Father and the capacity of his Father, says with the utmost expectation, take this cup away. I know you can and I know you could. Take this cup away. Isn't that the prayer of anybody who's ever struggled with addiction? Isn't that the prayer of anybody who suffers from anxiety and depression? Abba, Father, take away this darkness that's clouding my soul. Isn't that the prayer of anyone who feels the stabbing ache of loss? Abba, Father, take this away. In the lonely dark of Gethsemane, the Son of God cries out the prayer of all of us who have, feel, have felt or right now feel grief squeezing the life out of us. Father, all things are possible for you. Take this away. But there's one more movement in the prayer that we cannot miss. Because even for those of us that have gotten up either the courage or the exasperation to bring our prayers to God with that kind of honesty, that kind of specificity, there's one more thing that we learn in the oil press, and that is Jesus' final prayer. Not what I want, but what you want. 
There's this move that happens in his prayer that goes from, I want this from you, God. But I trust you. Either way. That ultimately, even Jesus doesn't seek his own desires first, but to align his desires with his Father's. Three times he does this. Goes into this, uh, goes through this process of I need you, I know you, I want this from you, and I trust you. You know what? The first two times he came out of there, this ain't working. This ain't what I'm, this isn't the answer I'm looking for. He comes out of the oil press disappointed. He's not getting the answer he wants. So he goes back. And does it again the third time. It's got all kinds of theological and symbolic significance. We're not going to talk about that. But he goes back in the third time. And what he discovers in that third round of prayer in the oil press is an important lesson from the press. And that is this. Suffering is the cup that he has to drink. That the particular suffering of the crucifixion is exactly exactly what the Father wills for him. Let me be clear about this. It, I did not say that all suffering is what God wills. Right? Then redemption would be a moot point. What I'm saying is this particular suffering that Jesus was facing was exactly where he was supposed to be and exactly what he was supposed to be doing. One of the hardest lessons that we learn in the oil press is that when we follow Jesus and we come into the oil press of our own distress and our own grief, even when we are following exactly what God has called us to do, we said, we need you, God. We know you, God. We want you, God. We may not get the answer we want. But we're going to get the answer we need. And that reality is the hinge upon which this whole story turns. Because in the final scene of the story, we get to see the results of the striking contrast between Jesus and these men in the oil press. The disciples enter the press full of religious and patriotic vigor. They are ready for the fight, swords on, ready to go. Meanwhile, Jesus enters the oil press disillusioned and discouraged and pours out his heart to the Father. And while he's pouring out his heart on the cold floor of the oil press, the disciples are just out cold. By the end, those same disciples who entered Gethsemane with bravado, pledging their allegiance to follow Jesus all the way to death, they run away naked and afraid. But Jesus... Jesus enters the oil press distressed and troubled, grief crushing the life out of him, but he's the only one that walks out courageous and resolute because the oil press. The oil press is the place where the olives get crushed and the oil gets squeezed out and separated from the muddy grit left over. It's where the disciples were napping, sure of the strength that was in their own hands and where Jesus, in contrast, entrusts himself into the able hands of his father. We learn in the oil press, friends, that prayerless disciples get stuck when Jesus doesn't meet our expectations. 
We don't know what to do with that, Jesus. When suffering comes our way, we run away. But those who will courageously seek the face of their Father the way Jesus does, even when distress and trouble are there, even when the oil press of suffering and grief is squeezing our soul, even then, we can walk out of the oil press unafraid. Because like Jesus, those who trust themselves into the hands of their Father get to see something that you never get to see when you run away. Sometimes, Gethsemane and Golgotha are the road to resurrection, the road to God's redeeming power. Some of you have had powerful encounters with Jesus. You have, like the disciples, been on the mountain with Jesus at different times in your life. Maybe it was when you were a kid and you were at camp. Maybe it was when you were a counselor at camp. Maybe it was just a few weeks ago on spring break. Times when if Jesus said, jump, you would say, how high? Times when Jesus said, go, you'd say, where are we going? Pledging your allegiance to Jesus. And then something happened. And Jesus stopped meeting your expectations. And all of a sudden, there's this distance. You ran away from the oil press. He's calling us back. For all of us. Like, you're only here tonight because at some level, you still have an expectation that Jesus can do something. So let's follow him in. Let's take it to the oil press. It's a scary place. It's dark in there sometimes. It hurts in there sometimes. But let's go with him. We're going to do that tonight in our worship. We're actually going to follow this cycle of I need you. I know you. I want this from you. But I trust you in our worship tonight. And in that space, we want to invite you. If there's something that needs to come into the oil press, some specific thing, some specific person, some specific event that needs to be brought into the oil press with Jesus, we're going to make space to bring it in. Because one, thing we, one of the things we learn from the oil press is God meets us there. In our grief and in our distress, God meets us there. And it's there that we experience transformation. Where the oil gets squeezed out. I'm going to pray for us before we take this step into the press. Our Lord Jesus Christ, Now, there are things in our lives that many of us have brought into this room tonight, expectations that have been broken.
and have caused us to want to run away from your grace and to run away from you. Thank you for drawing us back. And there are some of us that are here tonight, God, that are living right in that moment right now. We feel the press and we feel the distress and we we want to bring those things to you. Receive us gently, Lord. But grind those things down in us. Press so that what comes out of us is the oil of trust and of hope. Here we come, Jesus. We want to meet you.